This is Fashion in Focus, the weekly New Zealand fashion podcast covering our creative world from a unique perspective. My name is India Leishman. And I'm Murray Bevan. And every week, we'll connect you with the leading designers, editors, influencers, and stylists from all over the world. If you love fashion, this is the podcast for you. Margie Cooney is a young New Zealand creative and writing talent living in Auckland. By day, this 26-year-old composes articles for Denizen magazine, while in her spare time she keeps busy working on freelance styling projects. I first met Margie when we were in high school together, and even then at 16 years old, I was blown away by her impressive attitude and myriad of accomplishments. Margie has always been a leader confident and focused, so of course it was no surprise to me when she was chosen as our school's head girl. But skipping forward a number of years, Margie's life has changed quite a bit. Taking a direct turn into the pathway of fashion three years ago, she's now considered one of Auckland's favourite fashion writers for her clever and very captivating way with words. Her timeless sense of style has made her leap into styling a very organic one. Murray and I were always keen to have Margie be a part of this podcast for her fresh outlook on the New Zealand fashion scene, one she both observes and is a part of. Firstly, thank you very much for, for being here, Margie. It's really cool to sit down and finally do this. Yeah, thank you for having me. I wanted to start off, I guess, in the obvious spot um, and talk to you about how you got into writing because I know you worked as a freelancer for some time before starting at Denizen how did you transition into that role and writing about fashion had it always been something you were interested in well it's actually I mean it is interesting the trajectory that I took to kind of get that role at Denizen I was very loosely freelancing um uh, among doing other things um and working for for kind of brands in, in the fashion industry here and then um, I actually launched a um, a jewellery label with a friend of mine so we launched Hirasabi and that was kind of my focus and then uh, a friend of mine at the time who was working for Denizen said that Claire um, was looking for an assistant part-time um, which was perfect for me because I just wanted a, a, a part-time job so I kind of came on board initially as her assistant a couple of days a week um, or it was, you know, it was definitely in, in a more part-time capacity and then that kind of just snowballed and built from there and then um, uh, eventually became a writer. And then um, I think it's funny with Denizen um, because we cover so many different topics. Um, as a writer there, you're not necessarily specialising. I mean, we all have our own areas of interest. I think I fell quite naturally into the fashion side of it and writing about the fashion stuff. Mm. Um, and it's funny, it's not really anything, it's not something that I ever really thought that I would do, per mm. se, as far as a career goes. Um, I was always interested in magazines, I always loved reading them, and I still do, um, but I never really saw myself writing for one until I got to Denizen and kind of mm. started to understand a little bit more about the industry and the and the work and, and realised it actually really fit in with my skill set. Yeah. So it wasn't even something that was actually so much planned, it was sort of quite an organic Very much process. organic. Very much organic, yeah, yeah. And, and um, I think that's... 
I mean, I think it's good. I mean, I, I, I haven't even finished my university degree, you know? Like, I, yeah. it wasn't... None of this was a really planned kind of strategic... Um, no five-year plan. No. Yeah. no, definitely <laughs> not. It, it was all very organic, but it's, it's funny when things just kind of fall... Into place. Into place at the right time and people leave and then you can move into different roles and that's kind of just what happened yeah. yeah and actually I'm sure I've got a question for you later on that's come from one of our viewers about you know how do people get into roles because it's so hard to get into businesses uh, particularly in the fashion industry and I guess for a lot of people it is just taking the job that's available mm. and finding other roles within that company when when they become available because they're not always there straight away are they yeah no I mean it's that's the thing with fashion right there's there's really no one road, road to to mm success and and I don't think there's any point in um saying that you know holding one person up as a as an example of how it should be done or how because it's it's different for everyone and you've got those people who come from obscurity and go straight into like the big leagues in kind of one year and then you've got people who are just working away in the industry for years and years and years and um Slowly sort of building Slowly careers, building yeah. up, yeah. I mean, it's... it's, But that's, I think, why a lot of people are drawn to the industry. It's because it is so... Um, it, it isn't as cut and dried, perhaps, as, as other ones. It's not yeah. like being a lawyer, for instance. You go and do your law degree. It's a very clear path, I think. Yeah. It's for the creative, isn't it? Is it? I guess it's for the people yeah. who are going to discover the, you know, the journey as it comes rather than having it all mapped out yes. immediately. Yeah, and I think you've got to be a little bit flexible you've got to have a bit of that in your nature you've definitely got to be disciplined for sure but I think you've got to also be able to go with the go with the flow a bit so you've worked with Denizen or at Denizen for almost three years now and only very recently have you stepped away from that publication but going back to the beginning of that chapter when you first landed the gig what what did it feel like to you to be a reasonably still a young writer stepping into a magazine that I guess is held in such high regard by a lot of people were there any nerves did you feel pressure to deliver I know fashion can be a little bit like that that in this industry yeah totally I big mean, expectation yeah 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 I mean I guess looking back like I said before because because I started at a certain level and kind of worked my way up within Denny um I was able to kind of ease into it slowly. I guess I wasn't kind of thrust into a role that was like, you must deliver X, Y, Z straight away without knowing kind of, you know, the people and the players and, what, and kind of what was going on. I definitely feel, looking back, um, I mean, even now, like some of the shoots that that we did and um, and all that kind of thing, I... I yeah, for sure. I was I was nervous. I I am a perfectionist though, and I'm very I, I I put these standards on myself, and I think a lot of people in my industry probably do as well. Mm. But um, it definitely makes it tough when you're churning out content, for instance, or producing shoots or styling or whatever you're doing, and you have a bar that you really want to hit. Yeah. And I think that's where the pressure really comes from. I think it's well for me personally it came from myself. Yeah. But I think yeah, I mean nerves are good. Um because I guess sometimes when you are a bit nervous, it can push you to work really, really hard and make sure you really are delivering. Yeah. And I don't doubt in any respects that you wouldn't have gone in there, you know, blowing everybody away. But it is just that thing of I guess when you're first starting out in somewhere that is very respected, mm. there is that expectation that you need to perform. Totally. And but you know the beautiful thing about Denizen is that um, yes, of course, it's a very well-respected magazine and it's got this amazing platform. Um, 
but we're also I mean when I was there you know we're a bit of a family there's there is support there um for when you're when you're kind of going through those things what is the culture like at Denizen? Has it been a really, I mean, you talk about everyone being supportive. What's Claire been like? What have the other team been like? It's um, amazing to work there. Yeah, no, it's it's great. You know, Denizen, yeah, I mean, Denizen has such an awesome platform in New Zealand um, and really churns out what I think is, is, is you know, um, really compelling, content. compelling content. And it's thought, you know, it's thoughtful. Like when I was there, we, we try to be, thoughtful about the way that we go about things so I learned a lot in that in that regard and I think when I was at Denizen it's I was I was in quite a unique situation because I was working with lots of my friends so I got the role through a friend who was there um and then you know we had a few other girls who we knew who came on board so there was a funny culture where we were kind of friends outside of the office and, and obviously all working together as well so um how I mean, did it's that an go? Inter- is that is that cool? Yeah, no, it's cool. I mean, I think you get used to it, and then, yeah. um, you know, I think you don't have that anymore, and you're kind of, well, what's I never see my, I see never see them anymore. But um, I think the thing with Denizen is that, um, you know, it's at, the, the, at the bottom the the bottom line is that it's just quite an intense environment, and it has to be because it's a it's a quarterly publication where we come out five times a year, right? So. Mm you're constantly on deadline everyone's you know it's it's the team is big enough but it's still quite small so your role is broad it's diverse you're doing Mm. lots of different things everyone has to kind of wear a number of different hats to get the job done and we always get the job done but I mean I remember coming up to deadlines it's just it can get quite intense you know and you've just got to um kind of support each other we kind of all just had to be there and support each other and I guess I mean looking back on it now was that experience you would have learned a lot through the fact that you were doing so many different jobs Mm. and I know you know as this goes on we're going to talk about some of the other areas that you've got into can you explain to our listeners what your your roles were at Denizen so let's start off with the writing what sort of content are you writing you know I've seen you did one piece about an artist exhibition not that Mm. long ago and Mm -hmm. plenty of other topics what Mm. was the main stuff that your your role was as a, a writer there as a writer. So when I was a staff and senior writer, um, my role was basically just to churn out the editorial content. So that was, as I said, you know, as I said, it was uh, primarily I did a lot of the fashion stuff. So mm-hmm. so there was that. But um, Denizen also covers you know cultural um, events and topics and food, travel, well being. Um, and within our editorial team, we all kind of took. There were special. We had specialty kind of sections that mm-hmm. we all kind of took charge of. Yeah. But the reality was is that we just had to be across everything, especially when it came to um, online writing. So you've got the online editorial side of things, and then you've also got the in print editorial, and they're very different beasts. You know, you've got the online, which is fast paced, um, an article a day. Um, uh, much more kind of immediate and urgent and current stuff that's going on, events that are happening, restaurants that are opening. Um, and then you've got the the print, which is, you know, more feature-length pieces and stuff that you can take a little bit more time with, um, which I personally prefer. Yeah. Um, which is amazing because I think there's a lot of people who will be listening who would feel quite daunted by the idea of sitting down to write an eight-page eight you know, article on something like yeah. that. I think for a lot of people that is quite a daunting thought. It's funny, it's it's like I really thrive on it, but then I also 
part of me really hates it. Like yeah. it's funny. Like it's just funny. I I um I remember writing a piece. I think it was for the spring issue last year on um, philanthropy, and I remember when I kind of undertook that topic. Um, I it was just this sense of kind of the enormity of the whole thing, and it's this it's this massive um, landscape in New Zealand, and all these people doing these incredible things. So. I think I I just felt this real weight of pressure to do the topic justice and I think part of me was like oh my god like I cannot stuff this up like I've got to do a really good job of it um but I remembered through the process it was just like it is quite daunting it is yeah. quite daunting because and then you have to send it back to everyone they read it they give you feedback and then it goes into print and everyone's reading it and it's you know you take this you take on this responsibility of telling a it story. might be telling someone's story or talking about you know someone's life work and you just really want to do it in, in a way that honors them and for some writers I agree probably the immediacy of of churning out a story for online or writing about a new opening or something is is more appealing to them but for me having that opportunity to actually take a bit more time is is at the end of it a lot more rewarding. Do you find you have to do certain things then to prepare? Like if you were given, as you say, that topic on um, philanthropy, how, what is your process for preparing for a big story like that? Are you doing lots of research first? What is that that process like? Yeah, yeah, totally. Research, 100%. I mean, um, for any story, I mean, even even for the fashion for the fashion pieces, I, I wrote a, a profile on a... Well, I've written a couple of profiles on, on designers and you've just got to really... For me, it's like if it's a profile about a person or a, or a designer or a, obviously a major topic, but um, I just want I want the article to represent in kind of tone and in, and in subject and in the way it, it, it flows that the person themselves and kind of try and capture something about them. So I think if you're going into it, yeah, you've you've just got it. You've got to be prepared. I mean, if you're interviewing them, you want to go in knowing exactly what you're going to ask and and what you want to get out of them for your piece. Yeah. I wonder, do you consider yourself a perceptive person? And the reason I ask that is because I think often when you're doing, I find this working in television, when you're doing one-on-one interviews, it's not just what the person's saying; it's picking up on their face, you know, their um, facial expressions, their mm. emotions, that sort of thing. Do mm. you find if you were doing, say, a feature on a new designer or something, are you aware of those sort of things, taking that into consideration? Yeah, totally. I mean, um, I think, yeah, I think for an interview to be, um, especially if you're going to go off and write an article or, or a profile on that person, I think it has to be about more than what they say. I think you've really got to make an effort to... To, to really listen to what they're giving you in every sense of that of, of that mm. word. You know, you've got to try and understand. 3D almost in a way, isn't it? Well, yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's... I don't want to say it's easy to write a, a, a piece about someone based on an interview because that in itself is a skill. But I think to write a profile on someone um, that, that goes a little bit deeper, I think you, you have to kind of give people a, a bit more than just what's been what said. they've answered you, you know what what they've answered to your questions um and it's funny you know it's when you're working in an environment like denizen and it's fast-paced and you do get more time to work on features but at the same time you're working on a number of different things at this at, at once so um sometimes i mean for me i felt like 
it's still quite even the longer even the longer form pieces are still quite fast paced. You still just have to kind of get through them. Yeah. Um, and you're not afforded, you know, maybe you're given one interview with the person, or you can kind of catch up with them you know for a coffee and I would always prefer to catch up with someone if I'm doing a profile on them catch up with them in their own environment or do an activity with them or do something that's a little bit gives me a bit more of an idea of their character yeah so after you know you have been a a writer at Denizen for as I said about three years but earlier this year you picked up the role of being a senior editor Mm. what is that is that more to do with you know being in charge of what what content um, and what stories you are covering what is the biggest difference between the two um yeah so I guess I guess moving into into the senior editor role um basically just uh entailed a a bit of a step up as far as um managing the editorial team I guess and kind of and more responsibility yeah yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes well I think I think I felt more of a sense of personal responsibility for others work yeah um and obviously I mean it's in the name it takes it it, you know there's a lot of editing that comes with it so it's you're you're looking at what your writers are producing for the mag and whether they need help in you know shaping a piece or um whether it's just you going through and doing a simple edit or whether it's helping them with you know scheduling and and managing you know their their workloads for the for the issue that we might be working on. Um, yeah. So it's much more management sort of role, I guess, in some it respects. It kind of is. I mean, honestly, it didn't really change that much of what I was doing because I was still right. I was still kind of in the trenches with it. You know, like I was yeah. still doing, writing a bulk of the content alongside them. So, mm. um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the nature of the beast is that Denizen is, a, you know, we've only got so many staff and you've just got to kind of do your bit to get the magazine done and you know the senior editor part is is yeah I mean it's just it it was more just a feeling of responsibility for me I just felt like I wanted to make sure that the other writers felt supported yeah and that what was being put out was a was a really good reflection of what what our vision was for an issue so how I did like what what is the world of a deadline like because I have other friends who work in magazines and, like, you know, they're all catching up with you for coffees and yeah. things, and when it's a week out from deadline, it's, like, radio silence. Yeah. And you just don't see or hear from them. Yeah. Those, because you have them, as you say, five times a year. Yeah. It's pretty full-on turnaround. What yes. is that environment like to be working in? Is it chaos? Um, Organised chaos? I described it to someone a couple months ago, like, like for me, the, the feeling that I get sometimes around deadline is almost a similar feeling to what I used to have around like uni exams mm-hmm. oh, yeah. um, because especially when you haven't finished all your content when you haven't when I haven't finished all my writing and we've got deadline looming and it's like I've just got to get this done mm. um yeah I mean it's it's stress it's stressful I mean it's a deadline there's no room to move the mag's going to print on this date and you've just got to get it done yeah um lots of late nights yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, there are. And, and, but, you know, you're kind of happy to do it. I mean, mm. I think for me, especially at Denny, like, because we were such a crew, um, at the end of the day, all of our names are on the masthead, you know? Like, it's not just one, but it's not just Claire's name at the top and then nothing else. Like, we're all up there. We're all responsible for getting this thing to the yeah. printer. And we all have a lot of love for it. We've all put a lot of time and effort and energy into it. So I think... 
yeah deadlines can be shit of course yeah. they can be shit mm-hmm. and you kind of like lose you lose your life a little bit you know yeah. for, for a couple of weeks but I guess it's a reflection of your work so you want to put your best foot totally. forward and make 100%. sure what you're putting out there is stuff yeah. that people are going to go wow that was really interesting go yeah. buy the magazine and read yeah. it yourself because otherwise like what's the point I mean that's the nature of, of the media industry of, of magazines is it you know if you can't handle being on a deadline or just putting in the extra effort then it's probably not for you no right Mm. how do you tackle I guess the more difficult parts of of being a writer um as I said before I know there's a lot of people who would sit you know think the idea of sitting down to write at work you know arrive at work nine o'clock have your coffee sit down you're supposed to write for eight hours that would be incredibly daunting (laughs) so I guess you know for those people listening how do you tackle things like if you get a really tricky topic um or if you get writer's block how, how do you work through that do you have to go out and get inspiration or um or do you not get writer's block maybe you're one of those really lucky people who's <laughs> just a blitzer. oh no 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 I definitely <laughs> get writer's block 100% no I don't think anyone's immune um to from that the, tricky from that yeah, yeah no uh it's an interesting question because um I think it just changes for me really I um I guess when I've got a tricky topic for instance um, I try and find like another way in. So, if, like, if I've got to write an article about someone or about something, and I'm ju- I have no idea where to start, and that's really just stopping me, mm. um, I'll kind of you know go for a walk or go downstairs and get a water and come back upstairs and just try and figure out another way to start. So, I found that. Um, what are your other hooks or other angles? Totally. That sort of thing? Yeah. yeah. Or it's like you know if it's an article about. A fashion designer, maybe in the interview he mentioned that he, you know, felt really inspired by iconic films of the 60s, for instance. So then maybe that's your starting point. Maybe that's, maybe you start with a film that he mentioned, a specific film, and then try and pull something out of that that really feels like Connected. captures him, you know, and then and then bring him in after. You know, there's just things that you can do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, shit, like I'm definitely, I've, I've had times where I've, had stories to write and it's I'm I just honestly have no idea where to (laughs) where to start and 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 I think when you've got deadlines coming up I've learned slowly but I've learned that you've just got to go you've just got to push through you've got no other choice you know you've got a deadline you've got to get this done and surely you're better to get the really tricky story out of the way as quickly as possible you don't want to be three hours to deadline you know trying to yeah something together yeah totally and sometimes I have been you know sometimes it has literally been like an hour and I'm like still writing something and it's that's just it is, it is what it is sometimes it's good to just do literally a stream of consciousness right of everything and it might sound like shit but then if you revisit it a couple of days later you can kind of shape it from yeah. there so sometimes that's what I do so the media industry and I did actually speak to um another magazine writer, Grace O'Neill. She she writes for Vogue in Australia and we talked about this last week and I wanted to ask you about it as well because the magazine industry has seen a real transition towards digital over the past 10 or 15 years and I guess there's this constant looming um, point point of view I guess that print will eventually die what is your take on that do you think it will be replaced by you know online blogs or something or do you think there's always going to be a market for magazines oh I am such an advocate for print like I it's such an interesting topic because um, it's funny how it has to be one or the other. It's like mm. it has to be, 
It's either going to die or, or it's all going to... Yeah, yeah, it's like it has to be all print or all digital or like the digital revolution, it's going to kill print. I just think as humans, we love the tangible. We love having something that is in front of us that we can, that exists, that mm. we can touch, that we can pick up and hold and that's, you know, can be become part of a ritual, you know. Yeah. I mean, for me, going to Mag Nation or going up to, you know, a, a magazine shop and buying all the new mags that come out seasonally it's just such a joy and then taking them home and pouring through them and uh, I mean I mean I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd like that like I that's what I love but I do think that print will always have a place mm. in the magazine industry I think digital is great and I think that digital is good for you know things that really feel of the moment urgent um you know, kind of quite immediate, like clickbaity things, things that people just want to click on, have a quick read over, oh, that's cool, that tells me this, or this tells me this. I don't think that it's, you know, you can't compare a long, reading a long-form piece um, online versus reading it no. on paper. I mean, for me, that's, yeah, that's, I, I just think that it's going to, um, I think that there will always be a place for it, yeah. And I guess it is, for a lot of people, it's their experience, and for some people even, you know, you go into the rooms of girls who love fashion, and often you'll see like a stack of Vogue magazines, and it's part of who they choose to identify themselves mm. as, they're part of that group, and I guess Denizen gives off a similar sort of... Yeah, I mean, I think magazines are huge, are huge identifiers for people, I think, they always have been. I think they always will be. It's like, what magazines do you read? Like, what do you, what kind of... I don't know. It just kind of speaks to... says a bit about who you are or what you're into or what your interests are. And, um... Yeah, it's... it's I, I just think when it really comes down to it, digital and print are two vastly different beasts. Yeah. You know, they are... You know, some people thrive in one... In one in digital some people thrive in in print yeah. and um just I, what your pre- preferences isn't it totally yeah and i and i just think that um as human beings we we will never fully kind of turn away from 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 that tangible experience it's like i was reading the other day some some there are some stats um where it's kind of it's like that kind of whole kindle thing you know kindle was a huge craze and everyone thought that it was going to cancel out Books. books and then it you know the sales have kind of they've either gone down off or, a little or bit, yeah. plateaued I'm not sure what what they've been doing but you know books are still around and people still love reading books it's it's the same kind of concept I think yeah I guess I wanted to ask you because you've been working you know at Denizen for quite a while have you ever now considered moving away to another area of writing do you know want to explore not necessarily always working in magazines or moving away from fashion or is have you always had a deep connection um, no, for sure, 100%, yeah, definitely, I am, um, yeah, I, I don't think I'd ever pigeon my, pigeonhole myself into only working for magazines, like I said, I never even really thought I would be a magazine writer, mm. um, when I was freelance writing, I was, I was doing, I mean, random stuff, like gig reviews, and cultural reviews, like theatre reviews and stuff, which I loved, but I actually, you know, I've always wanted to write a book. Um, I actually have written a book of poetry that I want to get published. It's been sitting there for like three years. <laughs> we need tweeting. I'm done. Yeah, I know. I know. Just like, it's like staring at me. It's Bite like, the bullet. Yeah, totally. Um, 
yeah, and I want to write, um, I've always been really fascinated um, in like theatrical writing. So like, I'd love to write a piece for the theater. Like I'd love to write a play um, or a screenplay for something. Yeah. I'm definitely not ruling anything out at this stage. Yeah. Because that was how I first, you know, met you was yeah. through school. <laughs> um, and was, I, you know, you were like the star of all of oh the, my God. the school South shows. Pacific. God bless, what a time. God, that's a I real know. bonding experience. I know, I know. <laughs> but I mean, I look, I remember watching you and you were so just such a powerful performer and I always thought that would be something I honestly thought you would end up doing musical theatre or something mm. like that because it was such a an area of talent for you yeah and so then when I did see you in fashion I'd always thought you're a really stylish girl anyway but I was like oh my gosh that's a different area mm. how did that come about was that just one day you were like after you know starting here Asabi, you were like this is what I want to do well god it's so funny if I, I recount my kind of career trajectory and it sounds so erratic it's like <laughs> what are you up to <laughs> When I was at school, that's what I totally, totally thought I would do. I thought I would be a performer. I thought I'd be an actor mm. um, or or someone who existed in some capacity in that industry. Yeah. So much more performing arts, mm. film, TV, theatre, whatever it might have been. Um, and I did a kind of try and pursue that for a bit after school. Um, but I, I honestly just think I didn't quite know myself well enough um, to put myself in that industry I, I, I was in and out of uni and I was kind of dabbling in performance work and um, but but yeah I just I think I needed some time to really get to know myself a little bit better I've changed a lot I mean we all do yeah. from who I was at school yeah um, but that is but normal I guess that's part of the process that's isn't totally it? part of the process yeah and and um, again I'm not ruling anything out I think at this stage like why not if something came came up but I, getting to know what I love doing now and still loving that industry, still loving film and TV and, and theatre and stuff, um, there, there is a real pull to do more of the writing side of, of that, to, to try my hand at doing that. Yeah. Um, so watch the space then. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I'm not promising anything, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Holding you to it. No. <laughs> hey, um, I wanted to sort of move into more the styling side of things because mm. that's obviously been a real area of passion for you. And I guess, it, was that something that, you know, through working at, at Denizen and having such an exposure to these beautiful clothes mm. and, you know, women who dress so stylish, and yourself obviously included, did that happen quite organically through through working at Denizen? Or how, how did that come about, getting into styling? God, how did that come about? Yeah, I think it was pretty, it was pretty natural. Again, I was never like, I want to style photo mm. shoots or whatever. Um, I think the first couple wee jobs I got because one of my best friends, Holly, is a incredible photographer um and she asked me to come um and help her out on a couple of shoots um and do the styling for those and then you know and and, and styling for kind of hirasabi things that we were doing so so for my jewelry label um yeah it was it was yeah it's funny I can't even really remember there wasn't ever really like a conscious this is what I'm gonna do I'm gonna try my hand at styling now it kind of just happened and then being at Denizen just offered up this incredible platform well just a great opportunity to to and and Claire gave me a lot of freedom to try things out and um I think with every shoot that I did um you know and Anna was Anna was there um who used to be the creative director at Denison as well and her and I used to do a lot of the shoots together um 
you just learn you just learn as you go you just yeah. really do styling is something that it's it is one part it's kind of you either have it or you don't but then another part of it is like you just you've got to fake it till you make it you yeah. really do like it's part one part kind of flair and like natural pizzazz and then another part just kind of being brave being brave yeah bold. totally making choices and sticking to them and I'm still learning that lesson for sure like I'm still a bit timid can be a bit timid in that realm I just need to be a bit more decisive do you find the I guess the culture in New Zealand an interesting one when when talking about you know when it comes to people's personal fashion because it does sometimes feel like you know perhaps in the last I don't know five years people have started to be a bit more brave Mm. because there was a time when everything was very sort of grungy I guess there was a lot of black Mm -hmm. and there was Mm -hmm. a lot of oversized clothing and that sort of thing and it does feel like now there's a bit more of a broad spectrum of different styles yeah. How do you sort of view the New Zealand um, dresser, the New Zealand woman and man? Yeah, I mean, I really wish that the, that some. I don't want to generalize, and this is this is not meant to be a generalization, but I do wish that some Kiwi guys would were a bit more ad- adventurous. Yeah. I guess with their style, I tends to be the white shirt and the like green chinos. Kind of, it? kind of, <laughs> which isn't bad. You know, that's that's. Some people really own it's that It's like look jeans and, it, and a nice top thing. for a girl. Yeah, like, kind we of. I, I think there are a couple of parts to that. I, I, I think the menswear side of things in New Zealand, there is just such a space there for something epic to happen because, first of all, I think Kiwi guys aesthetically are quite cool. Like, yeah. lots of Kiwi guys know how to dress themselves. Lots of them have these epic kind of personal styles that they adopt. Um, But I don't think that they're given the credit kind of, I don't think that the industry at large necessarily gives them the credit that they deserve, if that makes sense. It's almost like that thing of like, there's the idea of the Kiwi bloke and he wears this. And it's like, that doesn't exist anymore. Like it's like trying to say that there's one type of Kiwi girl or woman and one type of way that she dresses. I mean, I've encountered, you know, just such an incredible spectrum of of um, stylish individuals in New Zealand and it's no longer can we kind of generalise and say that Kiwis are kind of behind the times. We're right up there, I reckon. It's just, it's more just, you know, giving us the, you know, having increased access to big brands, for instance, which we have done in the last few years and um, seeing how our kind of like ingenuity comes to the fore when it comes to our own personal dressing it's funny I actually often like and I'm probably still in the throes of it a bit like my own personal style is quite I feel like it just is in swings like just changes from season to season at the moment because I'm still trying to kind of figure out what my style is I don't think that I could really whittle it down to one thing yeah um and there are some people who can who just know exactly what their kind of thing is and I really admire them because I'm not there yet. Yeah. Um, but, but it almost feels like slightly more old school. Like back in the day it was like, what's your style? Bohemian, preppy, yeah, chic. You know, like everyone yeah. was in these boxes yeah. and now you can have a day. I know for myself I, I'm someone who loves to put on a pair of jeans and mm. sort of like an oversized baggy T-shirt. I've mm. always liked that. Mm. But then I'm also really girly mm. and I love to wear a really beautiful dress and mm. something with colour and silk, you know, and those two are t- total opposites. Totally. But it's part of what my dress style is, yeah. what my sense, how I identify. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also reflective of the industry at large, right, globally and here. Um, you look at 
what the 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 massive trends are one of which is kind of this idea of seasonless kind of um trans seasonal timeless dressing dressing in a way that um doesn't really put you in a box um i mean i was going to write an article for dinners and i never actually got around to it um about whether trends even exist anymore you know um because people have so much more access to fashion um literature and articles and on their instagram and they can see what all of these different people are doing and they can adopt whatever the look you know they want i mean back in the day you know it was like fashion week would tell the women what the fashions were of the time and they were the fashions of the time you know Mm. what i mean it's like we have a lot more exposure. You know, exposure. it's a miniskirt this season. It's, now it's like, wear a miniskirt, wear cargo pants, wear leggings. Wear a miniskirt with cargo pants. You know, pants. it's like, bring 90s grunge back, <laughs> yeah. embrace the 80s. It's like, it's a melting pot now, which I think is really cool because it gives people more of an opportunity to explore their own individual preferences. What do you make, I guess, of uh, the movement towards sustainable fashion? Because I think yeah, I've noticed a big change in the whole, you know, fast fashion. We've had, you know, even Zara's and Glasson's mm-hmm. and all these stores in New Zealand where things are cheap so you can afford to go and get a f- few things mm-hmm. reasonably frequently. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing a lot of designers, particularly designers like Maggie Maggie Hewitt from mm-hmm. Maggie Marilyn, and she's a big advocate for buying a, a, a piece that you really cherish and love mm-hmm. and holding on to it for mm. a really long time have you noticed that change well you know and from where you're sitting oh yeah that's yeah yeah it's massive I mean it's it's a huge shift in the industry um in consciousness right um and I think it's great I think it's you know you talk about Maggie Marilyn I think what she's doing in terms of you know fabric development and I actually do you know what I think a lot of the New Zealand designers like the Paris Georges and all of those Koto, this yeah, and they're producing here and they're supporting the industry here, and I think that's great. And I think fashion is a notoriously waste-heavy industry, and it does a lot of damage on the environment. So I think that this shift is really important. Um, I also think that, I mean, me personally, I don't, I don't really shop at the Zara's and the H&M's and the Glassons of the world I just I I, you know it's just not I'm not it's not really my go-to I think maybe because I I'm not sure why I just I don't I don't I don't has there been a time in your life when you were yeah when I was younger for sure like when they all started first coming out you know everyone was quite excited about it I think maybe just working in the industry and knowing a little bit more being being a bit more aware of 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 the implications of those I don't I I do think this might be controversial, but I do think that it's important to acknowledge that, you know, we we speak from a place of privilege a lot of the time in the fashion industry where we can kind of espouse these ideas of, you know, buy really good pieces and wear them forever and, you know, the underlying fact of the matter is is that those pieces are often very expensive. Yeah. Not everyone can afford them. Not most people. Yeah. Most people can't and, afford them. And, you know, that whole idea of buying less but buying better is a really, really good idea in theory. And lots of us, I think if you can adopt it, you should. And I try, I try to, to do that myself. But we've got, I think we've also got to think about, you know, the, the men and women who... You know... They can't afford it. Well, a Zara or an H&M is just a really good... 
affordable solution to them and maybe sustainability in fashion isn't something that they care about because maybe they don't understand you know know enough about yeah. it or maybe they're just not interested in fashion at all yeah. I think we, we can't have the sustainability discussion without talking about you know who those brands are for you know who who yeah. who does shop at those brands and who who needs to shop at those brands yeah you know do you think, I mean, like, what's been your take, I guess, then on brands like Zara saying, oh, you know, we want to have recyclable fabrics, mm. you know, in the next five years mm. or those sort of, there's been a lot of those sort of campaigns yeah. coming out in the last year or so. Totally. Um, w- what's your, your take on, on that? Do you think it's them just trying to, you know, get in on the sustainability? Greenwash yeah. a little bit. I'm a bit torn um, because I do think that inherently, <laughs> like, it's greenwashing because... <laughs> you're still producing so many clothes so many clothes i mean that's that that is it the fashion industry fast can never fashion. be fully i mean fast fashion other fashion it can never be fully fully sustainable because you're still producing new items right i mean that's just that's the truth of it mm. um so i think when and when a company like zara um says that they're going to put all of these initiatives in place to make them more sustainable and maybe they're going to recycle their fabrics and all that kind of stuff I think that's good as far as it educates their shopper about the issues to a certain degree and it and it and it makes the person shopping at Zara go oh maybe I should actually start thinking about the sustainability of my wardrobe or like my shopping habits my fashion habits and how they might be affecting the world and mm-hmm. even if they've got a full wardrobe of Zara it might mean that that person brings back half of that wardrobe yeah. for Zara to, to recycle if that's what they're going to do. Um, I, I do definitely think that there is an element of... <laughs> it's a bit of a cynical element of, of greenwashing in there, though. It's it's marketable. It's a huge, massive marketing ploy mm. in, in the and current And every company state. seems to be getting in on that at the moment. Yeah, no I mean, business of, fashion, uh, business of fashion, state of fashion for 2020, like sustainability is one of the key key things in, in, in to be thinking about in the industry mm. you know both because it's it's so important for the environment and for climate yes but it's also you know it, it drives it's 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 marketing you know and it's clever marketing and I guess even actually when you think about I mean last year the 2019 time person of the year was Greta Thunberg like it is we are in this very heightened stage of people being environmentally conscious more mm. so you know and almost um you know, it's a lot more than it used to be. Mm. It really is. And I think most people, in the back of their minds at least, there's some people who are really forward thinking about it, but everyone's sort of got that whole, mm, what's my impact on the planet? Mm. And that is starting to become a lot more present. So I, <clears throat> I understand your, your point about Zara. Mm. I mean, I guess, what, what do you think of the fashion scene in New Zealand at the moment because we have a lot of incredible young designers that are coming through and they're not just designing clothes they as as we talk about they are environmentally conscious you know there's a lot of other things that come into their designing realm mm. of running a business than mm. perhaps just the clothes yeah um, what do you think of the yeah the new <clears throat> designers i think we have some utterly incredible talent local talent coming through i mean you know Paris Mitchell Temple and Georgia Cherry from Paris, Georgia, and Georgia Curry from GA, and and Wynne Hamlin and um, Maggie and um, you know the Harmon Grubisher girls. They're just f- for a small country. We're really um, p- 
you know, pushing yeah, herself on really, the map, I guess. Really incredible, incre- incredible talent and really original as well and actually quite international. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it is funny though because I, I feel like the New Zealand customer maybe needs to be a little bit more... I would like to see the New Zealand customer be a bit more aware of the local talent that they mm. that they kind of have on their doorstep. I think when you're in the fashion industry here and you're friends with the designers or you know someone who knows someone and you're kind of you're conscious of that, mm. you you can kind of see it how incredible it is. I think if you're not as much in the New Zealand fashion industry, if you're kind of a bit more of an outsider, I don't know, I think I think the narrative needs to be told a, a little bit more. But I guess also at the same time, do you think, like going back to what you were saying about privilege and the money, like we do have so many beautiful designers in New Zealand, uh, but a lot do have quite high price points. So mm. the ones you listed off there mm. are higher price points, so mm. they're perhaps not as as accessible to... Maybe not, you know, maybe not. Maybe, maybe that is... Um, yeah, I mean, maybe that is. I think... Um, it is. It just really comes down to, I think, the cust. You know, the 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 shopper weighing up what their, What's their priority and yeah. Well, what what is their priority? I mean, yeah. I, for me, my priority is a supporting local designers where I can, and and b. You know, I I love fashion, so I will I will spend money on fashion, and I I will justify it every time <laughs> yeah but um yeah I mean for a lot of people fashion is just not is simply not a priority yeah and it doesn't have to be, you know it doesn't have to be yeah. you're not it's I think I think we can get very the discussion around sustainability and and buying local and making local and producing local and all that kind of stuff I think it can become a very politicized discussion totally. and quite polarizing it's like this is right this is wrong yeah this is how you should be shopping this is what you should be doing this is how you should be I think there needs to be a lot more grey area for respectful discussion around actually what can people manage yeah. and, and what is the priority for people and, you know, if we really want to get that sustainability message out there, how can we do that in a way that does make it more does make it feel more accessible? I mean, I was talking to Maggie Hewitt the other day about the direct-to-consumer line that she launched somewhere? last year. Yeah, somewhere. I was just about to ask you, I was about to say that. Yeah, so <laughs> so so what she's done there is smart because she's created a line that adheres to her values of sustainability. She's, you know, created a story around it. There's the Maggie Marilyn narrative around that collection. And it's under the umbrella. Yeah, and it's, but it's, but it is straight to the consumer. So it's, the price point is much more accessible mm. you know so maybe a, a bit more of of that kind of thing when you are like we're going back to talking about your styling on shoots are there kiwi designers whose clothes you are time and time again immediately drawn to when you you see them on the racks who are your, your I mean, personal I'm favorites i'm super biased yeah. but but paris georgia georgia alice um you know are probably my my go-tos and when I think when I think what Wynne Hamlin is doing with the way that he creates clothes for the female form I think I think all of all of those designers for me personally um I I just I just suit their clothes yeah I love Maggie stuff but it's just I sometimes it doesn't 
fit in with my wardrobe, which yeah. is fine. I think I absolutely have so much respect for what she's doing. Um, but yeah, I think I have a, a, an affinity for some brands. I mean, as everyone does, you know, yeah. personal preferences, totally. stuff you so. And it is the case. Like I remember when Karen Walker first came out, you know, ages ago now, but, and I was younger and I remember having lots of friends buy Karen Walker clothing and I always wanted it, but it never fit my body right. Mm. It was, you know, often her shapes were more sort of masculine mm. and they were for taller people and mm-hmm. I was short and very petite, so yeah. I would just be drowned in these yeah. clothes yeah. that I had friends being like, wow, you look amazing. <laughs> you know, I'm very jealous of them, so I see what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to styling a shoot or a campaign, what's the process for you there? Do you Are you one, a, a stylist who has mood boards? Um, do you get inspired by film or art or, you know... How do you start with a shoot? How does um, that all happen? Definitely, definitely like Im- imagery, you know, inspirational imagery. Um, uh, when Holly and I do a shoot, for instance, like we'll often do shoots together and like I'll see, I don't know, a photograph or, you know, a, a, a lookbook shot or something from a film and I'll send it to her and I'll be like, this is our next, this is our next shoot, this is what we're doing. And then it will kind of just build from there. So, yeah, start with the imagery, get kind of a, a bit of a mood together, I guess. Um, and then sourcing the clothes is is um, it, it's pretty straightforward. You just kind of source what you think is going to work and then it's just putting them all together. I mean, shoots are so funny. Holes and I just love doing them. We've been doing a few of them um, just in our own time. But I remember there was one shoot that we did last year where um, there was this beautiful model and her agent wanted us to shoot, do like a test shoot with her. And we didn't really have time, we had to pull it together kind of in a day. Um, and we just kind of got it got it all done and then ended up styling like our boyfriend's clothes. You know, like we got raided their wardrobes and all of the guys that we knew and got a bunch of like men's clothes and styled her in men's clothes. And that was just really fun because it was purely creative. Mm. Um when you're doing shoots like that, that's just like you're just having fun. You're the just dream. making it look cool. You know, you're just doing what you want to do. When you're shooting for a brand or for a denizen shoot or whatever, it's a totally different thing because you've really got to be a lot more strategic about how you plan the looks and how you plan who's going to wear what and, and what shots going to be with what and what brands are going to be put together. And it is a lot more. If I was planning, if I was styling a shoot for Denizen, for instance, I would usually get all the clothes into the office, and then I would sit in the office just for as long as it took, and go through all of the clothes and like put stuff together and like write, write down Looks. notes in my notebook, just like this with this or this with this, this with this. So when I was on, so when I was on set, I kind of already had an idea of what worked together, and then I'd planned out according to like pieces that we had to include and it was a lot more strategic and less kind of yeah. creative almost so is it do you enjoy having the balance of both then the more you know strategic and planned stuff and then the more spontaneous oh he's you know, yeah i mean yeah clothes. totally they're very different the 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 former is obviously there's a lot more pressure because you've got um you know um things expectations. yeah expectations yeah. That you've got to meet um yeah they're just different so alongside your styling and your writing, and I know you've brought this up a couple of times, you also co-run a jewellery label um, mm. with your friend Maeve Woodhouse. Mm. Is that correct? Am I saying her name? Maeva? Yes, yeah, Maeve. Maeve, Maeve. here we go. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about Hirasabi, how it you know, began, how it came to be, what the inspiration was to start it. Well, it was so funny because actually I will say before I say any more on it, 
I have left, I'm, I'm not part of Hirasabi anymore. I'm just kind of in the background as like a support for Maeve if she needs me and I'll yep. help her with shoots and, and so on and so forth if if that happens. But she's, it's definitely much more her, yep, which maybe. is great, which mm. is totally how it should be. Um, we were actually working at Zambezi together and we, um, oh, we were just kind of randomly one day I was like, oh, you know, I've been thinking about starting a jewellery label. Randomly. She's like, well, I'm kind of a trained jeweler. <laughs> and it really just bloomed. There's your movie Meet Cute well, right there. Well, it was a totally, it was our Meet Cute. Zambezi <laughs> was our extended Meet Cute. She's like a sister to me now. Like, we're super close. Um, but she, um, that was such an interesting experience as well, just, just to have the experience of starting a business. And neither of us had any clue what we were doing. Like, we were so green when we started. Um, but... Uh, I think I think the way it's ended up is um, is perfect because Maeve's Maeve is a jeweler and her passion is that and I was just so happy to have been there in the beginning to support yeah. her putting getting her on that road and being part of the creative and side being part of the creative, creative yeah director. creative director yeah, yeah so planning all the shoots and managing more of the like branding side of things but the reality was is that when I started working for Denizen my hours just got increase 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 I just couldn't you know put as much time into that business as as I'd have liked but um I mean she's doing such a beautiful job with it now yeah and like she always has but it's just growing slowly steadily um she's actually designing my wedding ring at the moment well my my engagement ring at the moment so oh my god that's very exciting so I was gonna ask you along those lines how do you you know, find it juggling all of your different roles. Is it manageable? Is it chaotic? What's, you know, is it a challenge? Um, it's so funny. Like, we talk about all of these different things that I do and these hats that I wear. Looking back on my time at dinners and it feels like I was wearing them all at once, if that makes yeah. sense. Like, it was kind it's of all part of the wrapped one. into one role. So, yeah. yes, work was hectic. Um, and I think... Yeah... I think doing the writing thing and the editing thing and then also trying to do shoots as well, it was it was quite crazy at times. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I'm really, really trying to focus on this year is striving to get myself into a, into a place where um, balance is kind of key, you know, where I've got my work life and it's busy and it's busy enough that I feel like I'm really you know getting my teeth stuck into some cool projects and I feel like I'm really doing something mm-hmm. um but also not losing that time you know with my friends or you know my partner my family yeah which when I was working at dinners and I definitely didn't prioritize as much as I as I could have and I don't think you really do when you're young and you've got your first job and your job is everything and yeah. you just want to do a good job and you want everyone to be happy and my partner's a little bit older than me and there were a couple of times where he would gently remind me that, you know, hey, like I'm here, yeah. you've got a life outside of work, like you've got to be able to live it. Yeah. So I think that's a really important and probably will be a lifelong lesson for me is just managing that balance and not bringing my work stress into, you know, personal relationships. You, you raised the point of stress there, and I, I have asked this next question to a lot of guests on the podcast, uh, and it's to do with mental mental health, and I guess asking you, how, how have you coped working in an industry um, that most of the time is centred around image and showing a perfect facade, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of expectation to perform, mm-hmm. and you know this perfect 
um, idea. Mm. You know, how have you coped, or have there been times when you haven't coped and you've you've had tough times? Because that's quite normal. Mm. And that conversation, I think, is really important to be had as well. It is. It is really important. Yeah. We live in this crazy time where, you know, someone could go on my Instagram and scroll down and think, you know, she's this, she's one thing, she's this, that, and the other thing. And I've had it sometimes when people, um, you know, old friends that I've kind of lost touch with and I'll bump into them and they'll be like, oh, my goodness, like, I've been watching what you're doing and your career and blah, blah, blah. And, oh my God, you're, like, killing it. You're doing so well, mm. blah, blah, And oftentimes they will say those things to me when I'm going through, like, the worst time, you yeah. know, personally. And um, a couple of years ago I had a really, like, really, really, really tough time just in my personal life. And it kind of extended out f- for a while um, in with in various different kind of pockets of my life and yeah it was really really tough because when you're working in a job like the one I was working in you don't really have you just have to get you just have to get through and just do it you just have to get the work done um, but it's kind of that constant demand isn't it like it it's is. always there it's relentless in it some is. ways it is and um Looking back, I think I wish I wish that I had sought more help. I think I, I think I probably needed more support than I was giving, and and more support than my, than than my partner could give me. I think yeah. there's a different kind of. I think when you're when you're in that place and you're struggling, and you know whatever kind of issue you're grappling with, I think going and speaking to someone who is removed from your world, someone who is separate, is so so important. And mm. I. Um, it's quite a humbling lesson because I think, especially when you work in media, for me, I was always like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, it's all good, I'm going to be fine, it's all good, just get it, get it done, get it on with it, you know, blah, 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 sweep it under the rug. And it's just, you know, you can't sustain yourself, your soul on, on that, you mm-hmm. know, running on empty. Um but you I know, guess, and it's it's hard. I think everyone goes through it in a different way. Yeah. And you're right. There's a lot of pressure to be perfect, to look perfect, to act in a perfect way. And if you make mistakes, people will come down on you hard. Mm. And I think you've just got to be gentle with yourself, and actually also be honest with yourself about how you're feeling. And if you don't feel like you have support in your friends or in your partner or in your parents or in your family or whatever who will understand or listen to you, go and go and find someone to talk to. You know, book in with someone or seek some help. I think it's I I'm a huge advocate for it. I think it's really important. And it's it's interesting I think you say that because often I I've definitely had times, you know, I work in a very competitive industry and there have been times where I found things very overwhelming and mm-hmm. challenging. And I often think when you're battling that stuff internally, you're not producing your best work anyway. Mm. Everything is compromised and it's almost like, you know, as they say if you broken arm you would go to the doctor Mm. so for your brain in order to be able to perform and do your best work and be your best version of yourself and give to your family give back to your partner and your friends Mm. you need to be in that healthy mindset yes yes totally I guess looking back, we're gonna we're turning things up. It's gonna be very <laughs> heavy now. <for> us. <laughs> yeah, push that up. I know, I know. God, no, it's good. You know, you've got to you've got to be able to have 
Both. Yeah, and and I think just and actually just have conversations about it where it's not doesn't have to be this really heavy thing. Even though it is a really heavy thing when you're in it and you're Mm. experiencing it, it feels heavy. I think, but Mm. normalizing it though, I think everyone goes through tough times and everyone has such a stigma in New Zealand of like, oh God, you're having a tough time. Yeah, Yeah. but actually, you know, you can't control when these things happen. No, knowing that everyone's the same, I guess, makes it Mm. easier. Mm -hmm. But anyway, as I said, we're turning it up a little bit. Mm. Looking back on all of the different projects that you have been a part of uh, in your career, what are your career highlights or the things that you? You know, I just super, super glad that you were involved with. Huge question. No pressure. Question. I haven't given you any time to think. Well, it's funny though because I feel like my career is just starting. Do you know what yes. I mean? Yeah, and I, totally. And I, I love. I think coming on knowledging the little bits. Yeah, I think coming on on you know speaking about my career and stuff. I just want I want people to know that um, I've still got shitloads to learn, and I'm not by any means the like pinnacle example of someone in my position you know I've I'm I'm still learning so much which is why I think looking back on what I have done so far I would just have to say the experience of of working at Denizen um has just provided me with so many moments of learning um which at the time were probably quite stressful for me but looking back now it's just been totally invaluable so I think in terms of highlights being able to work with some of you know the biggest brands on on shoots for Denizen was you know has been amazing but I I hope that my bigger highlights are are still are still to come you know there's there's a long there's a long road very young don't (laughs) worry there's still plenty of life left yeah um I guess then for you have you got are you someone who puts goals in place? Are you a goal setter or, you know, because you earlier said, you know, you haven't set to the five-year plan and the 10-year yeah. plan. So I wonder whether you are someone who does have dreams, set goals, that goals. sort of thing. Yeah. Or are you I, sort of... I definitely have things that I keep in my heart as things that I would Important. love to happen. You know, like there are, there are, but it's more of like a feeling. It's, it's more like, you know, I, I think about, doing certain things with my life and I think it's more like oh I'd love to feel like that one day or I'd love to experience that it's not like I want this role at this thing in this time frame you know because I don't think life quite works like that well for me it certainly doesn't work no I don't think there are many people it does unless you're seriously lucky yeah and I think but it's important to think about what you want and manifest that and have an idea about where you want to go um maybe for me personally I'm just more of a spontaneous can be a little bit fly by the seat of my pants sometimes, yeah. which is it's clearly lead you in a good direction. Hey, though. look, it has so far. <laughs> but um, I think going into this new chapter of my life and career, um, I'm I'm more thinking about the kind of life that I want to lead. I think is is and making my decisions from a place of you know who do I want to be or what kind of life do I want to live going into the future and I think hopefully holding that feeling close will help inform my just any kind of big decisions that I have to make yeah in the coming years and hopefully lead me down that path that I want to go down I have no doubt it will Margie (laughs) so I mean as as I spoke about a little bit earlier recently you have you stepped away from Denizen was any part of that you know wanting to have maybe a not so intense pace because it has been very intense for you for a while or you know what was behind that decision to leave Denizen 
Um, a number of things. Uh, like you said, I think wanting a bit of a change of pace definitely was one. Um, I got engaged last year, Congratulations. so um, <laughs> very cool. I think, huge yeah. news. Well <laughs> huge done, news. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, and it sounds funny, but having those very real discussions with my with my man, fiance, don't fiance. <laughs> well, just about you know getting married and and starting a family and all of that kind of good stuff that you want to be thinking about. Um. And, and just feeling like there were so many other things that I wanted to do or try or, or, or you know, personal projects or whatever it might be um, before I kind of had kids. And um, it just really felt like a timing. The timing just seemed right yeah. for me. Um, and as I said, I mean, Denny was an awesome, awesome experience. Like, what a what a place to start. It's been such an incredible um, uh platform for me to kind of move into the next phase um but yeah life is happening life is happening <laughs> so, what is what is on the cards for for 2020 what are you going to be doing work-wise or are you uh, just working that out at this stage yeah. figuring it out yeah. I I think the idea I kind of went into the the year with the idea that um I wanted to do a bit more freelancing um whether that be writing or styling or kind of freelance creative direction type type jobs um and the reality is is that those jobs don't come around unless you make space for them in your life yeah so I kind of did really just have to take a bit of a, a, a leap of faith by leaving denizen without having anything too concrete yeah. um to settle down into so it's scary it's actually it's really scary not really knowing what what my year's gonna look like yeah but hopefully um some unexpected things happen and it and it works out. Yeah, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. I have no doubts. Yeah, I mean, no, you, yeah. you've you've been also in an environment where you you uh, have, as you say, you have learned a lot and mm. you've been exposed to different people. And people, I think, if you work hard in a role, people respect that and go, "Oh, Margie's really good. Actually, she's freelancing now. Mm. We'll get her on board." Mm. So, and as yeah. you say, you do have to make space for that, and that can obviously be quite a, a scary decision. But yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I'd love to go and do more education at some point I'd love to go overseas and do a writing course and I don't know finish my degree one day maybe I'm not yeah. sure lots of things yeah <laughs> I was going to ask you that do you have any plans to move abroad live, work overseas um not immediately yeah not immediately because you're from Sydney aren't you well I lived in Sydney for 10 years yeah. of my life so Sydney definitely feels like home that's kind of an easy move but I don't know that I'd want to permanently live over there again yep. for the right role yeah sure um but we've just built a house yeah here in Auckland wow. um and it feels like we're really establishing it as a home right now for yeah. us which is an interesting feeling for me because I've never been super comfortable with the idea of settling down and I always wanted to live overseas and and I still do but I just don't think that that's going to happen right away it's not something that we're rushing to do I think we're just going to take our time and when the time and is enjoy right the space yeah totally it's such a unique time in your life you know I've never been engaged but <laughs> when I have talked to my mum and yeah hopefully <laughs> if someone wants to marry me but you know what I mean people always say when you get engaged it's really important to enjoy that time and mm. this is such a special time for you and I think you know I've seen friends who have been in extremely demanding roles and it's almost actually 
in a way, taken away from that special moment in life. And mm. I think it's really beautiful that you're taking time to acknowledge where you're at. And as yeah. you say, you are so young. There is so much opportunity yeah. to go and live overseas in 10 years' time or five years or whatever you, yes. you know, yeah. those opportunities will always be there. Yeah. So I guess these are – I've got some quick-fire questions for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last one I want to ask you before we get to those is, I guess we're, we've entered the new year – I know before you said you're not sure if you believe in trends, but do you have any sort of fashion predictions for what is going to be on the horizon or what we should be aware of, you know, um, for summer or coming into into winter? Yeah, what are we coming into winter? God. <laughs> Again, I, putting you on the spot, yeah. Yeah. God, what can I say? I think... Um, or what are timeless things that you... It might even be timeless looks for you, you know, things that are always classically stylish in winter or in summer because mm. we're always looking ahead with fashion aren't we yeah yeah you're never sitting true. in the current season no that's very true i think just looking at the industry at large in terms of where it's going um you know yeah i mentioned trends before i think it's really hard to be like you know snake skin is in or yeah or yeah. like there will always be those like aesthetic trends that pop up like oranges the, the colour or it might be sage or it might be zebra print whatever it is <laughs> they will always exist I think like for me going into 2020 I, I think like that idea of seasonless dressing and being much more purposeful about purposeful and conscious about the brands that you're buying into um, that will just continue to be It'll, I just think that's going to be the real defining um, framework for the fashion industry in, in 2020, I think. Um, you know, I remember writing for, for like little trends for online and stuff at Denizen um, and even for our trend pages in Coveted. And really, like, any trend is a trend. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I there, there are little pockets, niche pockets everywhere of people who are dressing in totally, totally different ways. Mm. Um, so... I think that I think the trends of twenty twenty will be more like ideological rather than aesthetic. Set, yeah. Okay. All right. So we're gonna do the quick fire questions. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. I think you're gonna be great. <laughs> so Auckland or Sydney? Auckland. Favorite New Zealand designer? Paris Georgia. Best restaurant to dine at anywhere in the world? Oh. No pressure. Oh my god! <laughs> anywhere in the world? Um. Oh, um, God, what's it called? Okay, we, we're going to have to move, but I can't, I can't remember what it's called. There was, there's one in LA that we recently ate at, and I just, for the life of me, cannot remember what it's called. But it's good. But it's but it's good. Do you want me to ask that question? I could say, right place to eat in Auckland, maybe? Oh, Would that yeah. be easier? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Best restaurant to dine in in Auckland? A lot of day. I just like honestly, oh my god, my head. I'm just like, um, I feel like Coco's has to be up there. I feel like everybody says that, but maybe that's just me. I might have to say, um, I'm gonna say Ostro because Josh Emmett makes a mighty fine 
crayfish toasted sandwich or oh, tell you that much. Well, he free. does. And it's where we had our, me and my partner had our first date. It's kind of a little oh, special. Sentimental. A little bit special, yeah. It's very sweet. <laughs> There's a saying in fashion that sometimes it takes itself too seriously. Do you agree or disagree? I, I think I agree. I think but the parts part I could answer that with a big long answer, but I think I think on the whole I I tend to agree, I think. Yeah, it, it could be. It could take itself less seriously. Yeah. <laughs> if you weren't born in the decade you were born in, which decade would you pick? Seventies. And why is that? Oh man, the style, the 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 vibe, the it's very easy to look back on a decade and just think that the grass is greener. I mean, we all do it. That's, you know, we always go, oh, this is where I, w- I wish that I grew up. But I just, I don't know, the music, the culture, the the slower pace, the absence of iPhones. Yeah. Man, I'd love to have lived in the 70s. What is your favourite ice cream flavour? My mint chocolate chip. Ah, you're the... Someone else has said that I was about to say. I think it was... Maggie... Hewitt. Oh really? I think it was Maggie. I feel like it's a bit controversial. People don't people don't really like it, but I think it's refreshing. I've asked every single person that, and it's been very interesting seeing what different answers people yeah. get. What is the city you would most love to live in in the world, and why? No strings attached. Just could go there. New York, and that's probably a very very common. I mean, I haven't travelled enough to be honest to know exactly what cities are like. But what I do know is when I go to New York. Um, I feel quickly at home there. Um, so I guess that's my kind of barometer of, of where I'd want to live, yeah. If you weren't a writer, what would you be doing? Or a stylist, or a jewellery creative director, <laughs> or, this, or this, all this. the other amazing things you've done? Uh, film director. Mm, I could see you doing very well at that. What will... Oh, actually, no. Okay. Do you have any role models? I have lots of people that I look up to, I think, like personally, like with this family, like of course, like my mom and, um, you know, my grandma. And But I think professionally, right now, like the stuff that like Phoebe Waller-Bridge is doing, I think is epic. Yeah. I think some of the journalists over in the States and in, in the UK, I, yeah, I think there are lots of epic female journalist doing some really cool stuff at the moment. What do you think your life will look like in 15 years' time? Putting it down to maybe five words. Um, Dog, car, house. <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> um, I think 15 years, I think it will be all about, I mean, I hope it will be all about family and fulfilment and travel and creativity. That's a lovely answer. Mm. So that is sort of the end of my quickfire questions. Mm. I also put a couple of requests out to people um, who are fans of your work <laughs> to ask people. Oh my god, do they exist? <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> and I've, I've, you know, I wanted to get people who are listening to the podcast and want to be part of it to send in questions so that they can have their own stuff answered. Cool. And I've got a couple for you. Okay. So, Margie, the fashion industry in New Zealand is quite small Mm. and it's often challenging to find a role. What is your best advice to getting your foot in the door when there are so few doors available? Mm. And do you have any tips for making oneself look more impressive than another candidate going for the same role? That is an interesting question because... It's kind of a double barrel. You've got two there. 
I do. I can prompt you again if you need. No, that's okay. I think the first part in terms of getting your foot in the door, um, well, you've got to have the attitude that there are lots of doors. Start with that. Start there. Start by going into it with this, even if you don't believe it, just say to yourself, there are opportunities out there, right? Because it's so easy to say fashion industry is too hard, too hard basket. I'm never going to be able to get in there. It's never going to happen for me. Lots of very successful designers or stylists and writers didn't have any connections at all to the industry when they started. And I think you've just got to... Vera Wang, figure skater. Oh, totally. I mean, you know, it's... So I think think don't tell yourself that there's only one tiny door for you because there are lots of doors. Um, You've just got to go out and, and, and find them. Um, in terms of finding them, in New Zealand, probably my advice would be to try and find some like-minded people. Um, I mean, it's hard for me to give advice because I'm not sure actually what area you want to go into specifically. Yeah, haven't said. But I would say my best advice would be, first of all, find some like-minded people. Get yourself into a community of people who have skills and interests that complement your own. Create your own work. There's no reason why you can't, no matter what it is, whether you're freelance writing, freelance styling, whether you want to be a designer, whether you want to, whatever you want to do, there are opportunities here. You've, you've got to use the size of New Zealand to your advantage. Mm. It's small, but it also means that if you do start your own thing and you get it off the ground, there are, it's a, it's a lot easier. It's, 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 you don't have to go as far to get noticed. So I would say be proactive, create your own work. Um, and if there is a real kind of dream job that you're that comes up that you really want to apply for and it's something that you really want to do, um, if you've if you've kind of gone in there with a, a body of of your own work, it doesn't even matter if it isn't for other people. At least then they'll know what you're about. Um, and I think with jobs, like I don't want to. I would. I don't want to kind of. I don't think that I have any definitive advice for like making yourself look better in front of another over on over another candidate. At the end of the day, the employee's gonna pick who's right for the role, which sounds like such stupid advice, but it's it's not gonna make any difference how you did your hair in the morning or anything. It's what's really gonna make a difference is if you or or sorry, what's really gonna come across I think in an interview is is if you know who you are and what you're about and and really where your skill sets lie. So I think if you're going to go into an, in the industry green, A, be willing to work up from the bottom. So maybe if you're going, like I, you know, I started as Claire's assistant um, and that was my first, I didn't really have any work to speak of for myself before then. Um, but you've just got to be willing to do the hard yards and if you're not getting jobs, if you're not getting roles, go out there, create your own work until you get yourself to a point where you do go into an interview and they go, oh, wow, like, this is your portfolio. Like, what have you done? Or what did it... And you can go, yep, done this, this, this. This is what I'm about. This is what I'm good at. This is what my skills are. I think they just... They want to know someone who's in control way. and yeah, yeah and like, handle it. And you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to look perfect. You don't have to have worked for the most incredible brands to get the job. I think you just kind of have to know who you are a little bit mm. and kind of just go in there with a bit of confidence. Okay, I've got one more for you. Working as a stylist means people expect you to always look stylish. Do you select your outfits the next day? Oh, sorry. Do you select your outfits for the next day, the night before, or do you decide on the day based on your mood? Oh, my God, mood, for sure. I don't think I've ever, ever selected an outfit. 
I mean, I've like if I've got an event, sometimes I'll like have an idea in my head of what I want to wear, but usually it's just um, it's just. And I actually have to say, even if you work in fashion or even if you're a stylist, um, I kind of have given up on that idea that you have to look styly. I think, I mean, look at Grace Coddington, right? Mm. I mean, she's wears the same thing basically every wears, day, doesn't she? And you'll find that lots of the creatives in this industry do do that because they they would rather put their time into focusing on their work rather than focusing on Themselves. what they wear every morning. Mm-hmm. Which I'm kind of I often just I'd rather just have a wardrobe. I could throw anything on; it would look okay together. You know. The last question is: What do you attribute your success to so far? Is it being really driven is it perseverance is it um i i think what i would attribute my career to date to because i because i parts of it has been parts of it have been successful um and parts of it have just been a really steep learning curve you know Mm. um i think i would attribute it to this tendency to be perfect, which is such a bittersweet thing for me. It's 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 great because often the work that I produce is of this is it's you know it's always of, of a certain standard, but um, it often puts me in in positions where I feel very stressed and very you know. So it's kind of that drive to create to to set a standard and reach it is definitely I mean it's a boon for your career for my career you know it's good for my career not so good for my personal life but good for my career <laughs> yeah um and I think just being willing to um be a little bit kind of being a little bit willing to be wrong I think which I'm also not great at sometimes I can be a bit I feel like I have to be right mm. um but I've really learned over the last few years that being wrong is actually and acknowledging that you're being wrong that you're that you're wrong or that maybe you don't know as much as you thought as you did or or you know maybe there are gaps in your knowledge maybe you've still got a ways to go is actually such an important special beautiful thing um and will mean that no matter where you you know I feel now like no matter where I go after this or in my career or whatever kind of things I achieve I feel like if I just keep that feeling of there's still more to learn. There's always more to, to get out of a situation that keeps you moving forward in a really satisfying way, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that, any of that No, but it does. Yes. And yeah, I think I'm trying to articulate it in a way that I know. makes sense. But it's fun. And to be fair, we've been here for a wee while, so I'm sure you're like, talk, 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 and you're like, oh, my oh, God. No, 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 it's good. It's oh, good. No, yeah. I, well, I will I will wrap things there, Maggie, but I, I want to say a massive thank you for you for, for being a part of this because I just think listening to you speak, you are very authentic, and I think that really translates. Mm. And also just being so open I think a lot of women probably do look to you and think, oh, my God, she's perfect. And so I think for you breaking down that, that even, you know, you've had times where things have been tough and work is intense totally. and knowing to look after yourself yeah. is really beautiful. So yeah. I appreciate you being so open. Yeah. Next week, guys, we have got another brilliant guest joining Murray. So, of course, stay tuned in for that. And until then, that's us. We'll speak to you again soon. That was the latest from Fashion and Focus. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of our conversation. 
If you want more, make sure you subscribe to get a fresh episode in your inbox every week. Check out more of our episodes on your favourite podcast feed and get in touch with us at fashionandfocus at showroom22.com.